0: Testament. will be in the Old Testament. We're going to be in the book of First Kings chapter 11. First Kings chapter 11. It will be on the screen. As, I've always, as I have said, if you're having trouble finding it, it will be up on the screen. I'd much rather you uh, were able to pay attention than trying to find it if you can in your, in your Bible. But I welcome you to turn to your scripture. As we talk about Solomon. and learn some lessons from it. Solomon, we tend to associate with wisdom. So as we uh, associate Solomon with wisdom, but we also can find out that, um, and we'll learn today, that some of these wise people can act rather stupidly. I don't know if you've ever run into someone that they're they might be really, really smart, or they might be book smart, but sometimes they, they run a situation, they don't seem to always have common sense, and the saying is that they can't, couldn't find their way out of a wet paper bag. Now, some of you might not know what that means, but Solomon is listed as having wisdom. So, we're read some scriptures today about some things that he did um, that gives us insights into some of our cautions today. So 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had seven, okay, get ready for this. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not, do, did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David, then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry, with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servants. servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So a couple highlights there as we read through that he loved many foreign women. Did you catch the part where it said he had 700 wives, princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. His wives turned away his heart. 700. Can you imagine that? 700. He had 300 concubines. You're like, what's a concubine? Well, that's kind of like a mistress. 700 wives and 300 mistresses. He's a wise man, supposedly, at some point, but wow, he was stupid. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord as did his father David. May God have his blessing to the reading of his word. David had a divided heart. A divided heart. And so David was, David, I'm so sorry, Solomon, Solomon had a divided heart. He was warned about this. I'm sure with all his wisdom that he would know and should remember God warned him. God warned him. And see, he, I mean, his heart had to be, I mean, all those women, all those women. And you wonder how in the world, why would they want that? Why would they put up with that? I, I don't know. 700 women. Of course, I, there's some, there is a celebrity today that I think is having his 11th child, by I don't know how many different women. A divided heart. And so he had this divided heart, but you don't forget the part that his heart was divided. It, it wasn't just this divided among all these women. His heart was divided from God. Because in going after all these foreign wives, he violated his relationship with God. He, he, he kind of broke that relationship. And we've talked to you about the marriage type relationship, that conversation where in the Old Testament it talks about when Israel as a country or the Israelites, when they cheat on God, if you're thinking about it, it's in marital terms that they've committed adultery. They've kind of broken away. They've they've walked away from or damaged that love. That the Lord doesn't have that primary purpose now. They're cheating on the Lord, and we we talk to you, and we'll come to that scripture again. And we talk to you about in James where you adulterers and adulteresses. You know where we've we've cheated on God. We've turned away. We we're not. God's not premier. And so Solomon here was not supposed to go after these foreign wives, but he allowed that to draw him away. So he allowed his heart to become di- divided. It wasn't just devoted to God. He had this, these other things. And, and, and having these other women, and lots of them, you get the sense, was he searching Thought maybe more women would, you know, that woman and she doesn't satisfy all. Uh, I, I'm not fulfilled. So I'm going to go over here and then that'll make me fulfilled. And I go over here and, I mean, Solomon tried to fulfill 700 wives, 300 concubines. He could have had fulfillment in God and God provided a wife, but no, he's, he. He thought maybe he could fulfill all these, these uh, that emptiness or whatever was going on in his heart. And he got a divided heart, 700 women, 300 concubines. And so what, did they, what happened when he did that? They drew him away. They drew him away. So as he started losing focus, and he's focused on this, they drew him away. And no doubt he went through a period, if you've been in a relationship with someone, there's probably, you get into this, okay, fine. You're having a debate, you're having a discussion, and you have this, okay, fine moment. Can you imagine, I, I, I can see it, that there was this time of appeasement. You know, this get along, well, you know, I just need to, to compromise, I just need to, to get along. I remember a situation where a group of people thought, well, we're going to go to this, uh, we'll go to the Christian wedding and and even though the, the parents, the Hindu parents won't come to the Christian wedding, but when they have the Hindu wedding, we Christians should go to their wedding to prove that we love them and are accepting. No, we should not. We just embolden. We appease. We do this appeasement. Oh, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to appease you. and I, I, Yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll make you a temple. I'll uh, allow you to do this kind of thing. I, I will... Uh, well, we need to appease this faction of the church in the Christian circles. We need to appease the faction of the church that thinks homosexuality is okay. So we're going to have... Homosexual ministers. We're not in our church. We're not in our denomination. If our denomination did that, we would leave. Even if we owned a building, and we are going to lose the building, we would leave. God's not in this appeasement game. He was not pleased with Solomon. But see, Solomon had this divided heart because he... He was trying to appeal to the 700 wives and 300 concubines. Imagine how hard that would have to be. If you do the math, that's like a thousand, right? A thousand. That's a lot. That's a lot. But see, this appeasement. And this compromising, this allowing for it's okay led to what? A backsliding. It's a backsliding. He did evil in the side of It's a backsliding. Well, you can't backslide, and you it's a backsliding. He turned back from God. A divided heart drew him away, went through appeasement, and he went through a backsliding. If we turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter seven, one through six. Now, if you're in the room and you might have trouble finding that, don't worry about it. I, I want you to stay with me. Just, just uh, follow it on the screen. Deuteronomy 7, 1-6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and, he, and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Gergesites and the Ammonites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier, mightier than you, And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenants with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to God, the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. God is not going to put up with. He's not one to say, oh, go worship these other gods. Oh, you can, you can keep this little idol in the corner and, and let's just let them continue. No, he, want, he says to destroy it. He's a, zeal, a jealous God. He's not putting up with these false idols. He, idols. he doesn't put up with unrighteousness. He provides us forgiveness, but we're fooling ourselves to think that we can just continue doing whatever we want. And in the churches. We're going through this part of smart people in churches appeasing, appeasing. We've talked to you recently about virtual signaling. We've talked to you about some of this dividing. In a moment, I want to talk to you about how churches virtue signal. You probably already know that. We just talked about the virtue signal that, hey, we're going to... And they'll say, don't you love people? Yes, we love God loves everyone. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross. But we got to love him first. We got to love him first. We don't just get along to get along. There's standards that God expects of us. And I'm just reminding you of James 4. See, can you see how these sermons, these last past weeks, tie together? Hebrews, James, James chapter four, verse four. <laughs> I flipped to the wrong book, oh, but one. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So the love of the world is this hostility. It's a hostility with God. All right, so we talked about that to you about a personal level. Now we look at it from a church level. We think about this concept as we have churches that are doing things to appease the world. And then other churches look at those churches and say, hey, they got a lot of people. Maybe we should do what they're doing. Or we might want other churches to look at us and say, hey, we're doing the right things. But if we remembered and we think back to that scripture that we were at in Deuteronomy. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images and burn their cardinal images with fire. When we appease to tolerate sin, what becomes our standard of morality then in the church? Our standard of morality then becomes the other churches. So we've talked to you about how individually where we're at, but we can also do that as a church, and then we do the same thing as a country. As a country. In Acts 5.29, Peter says, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So you see where we're... The question is, is where is your devotion? Is your devotion to God... Or is your devotion to your church? Or is your devotion to your denomination? Or is your devotion to your country? We have to be careful that our patriotism doesn't override our Christianity. Some people would get more upset about what, I would, what would be said about the American flag or if it was sitting in the church in the right location than they would whether I was preaching the gospel or not. Where's my first devotion? Who are we trying to appeal to? What is our... 700 wives and 300 concubines. Who are we trying to say we're doing okay? See, there's fads that are going through the churches. What, what's one of the fads? And those of you who are watching online, you're not going to know this. We actually worship with the lights on here. We don't put on concerts every service. Our worship team, we don't have one. We have a song leader. Do I like group singing? Yes, but I don't think we have to go with the fad to have more people so that when people come into the church and they sit in the church that the lights are off so we can see the platform better because I've heard they keep the lights off so the people in the pews aren't uncomfortable to worship God. If you're in church and you're uncomfortable worshiping God and worship how you want, you've got a problem. Because it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And if I can't praise the Lord in front of other Christians, then I've got a big problem. And if I'm going to come together to sit in a service in the dark and not look at anybody and have anybody look at me, I might as well stay at home. Because you're like, well, if I stay at home, then I won't be able to have the fellowship. You're in the dark anyhow. And by the way, the way the fad is right now that you're like, well, my, I won't be able to see my pastor in the same... Yeah, you'll see him the same way that you'll see him at the church. Because there's a lot of the churches in this town even. The pastor's not even in the church. He's on some videotape. The pastor's not there shepherding. you got a preacher. But who's pastoring? We need to do things because God tells us to. Not because it's okay or not okay. Some would not think I should be wearing. The fact is that I shouldn't be wearing a suit. But my role, whether I'm special or not, my role is important. I have reverence for my responsibility. If you go into the courtroom and you show up and your attorney shows up in his holy jeans and flip-flops, and a t-shirt exposing all his tats you're going to take pause when you look across from it and the other attorney's sitting there and he understands the importance of the moment we shouldn't be virtue signaling that hey I'm like the other churches I got a worship team that comes up and we do worship And we have a worship team. I like having a worship leader that leads worship of the congregation, not that leads singing, a performance, and doing all the tags, and all the harmonies, and all the ups and downs, like they're doing a solo because they're doing a performance, and the congregation can't sing along. That's a special song. That's not leading in worship. We shouldn't do things because All the other churches are doing it. All the other churches, they've got numbers. Yes, that's what Jesus said when he turned to the disciples and he was preaching the gospel and he was preaching the way it should be and he turned around and says to the twelve, will you twelve abandon me too? Because the 5,000 had left, the 4,000 had left, and it was down to the twelve. But he wasn't going to change the truth. And how many of these churches of great numbers, when COVID come, have recovered? There was some shifting out of the wheat from the tares. We shouldn't virtue signal in our communities to make think people think that things are okay. But we shouldn't pattern our worship to make it so it's more comfortable. Some of you have mentioned to me lately when I was preaching a sermon, you thought I was preaching it to you. Well, I was preaching something that I didn't even know affected you. But can I tell you from sitting in the pews for years, there's something about having the pastor's eyes roll by you, even though they're not even actually looking at you, potentially, and you're thinking they're preaching it to me. Well, they do preaching preaching to me. He does it. He may know he's preaching it to you. But there's something about that contact. There's something about being accountable that I can't just sit down and sit in the concert and and, and go out to the uh, refreshment and area and come back within my sandwich and stuff and eat my sandwich in the service. We're here to worship an Almighty God. We're not here for a concert. We're not here to we're not sitting on a couch someplace and just having a, a time together. We're coming together to worship and to A place set apart for worship. Even if we're renting right now, it's a place set apart for worship. We should not compromise because we're afraid what somebody else is going to say. And then when we go out into our voting booths and we go out in our places of life, we're going to have to start calling out evil more. Why? Because more evil is coming out. It was disheartening to see how many ministers and things jumped on the bandwagon with BLM. We've talked about some of that. They jump on the bandwagon of whatever very quickly. Yes, black lives matter. White lives matter. All lives matter. Somehow all lives matter is a bad thing. Discriminating against black people is wrong. But discriminating against white people is wrong too. How does one evil countered with another evil make it right? But see, Paul, uh, Solomon had a divided heart. Even though he was wise. Even though he had talked to God twice. It tells us we have to be diligent. It says God had visited him twice. He, we have to be diligent. We have to keep our hire aligned. Because we're going to see a lot of things happen. There's going to be some churches popping up. They're trying to pop up a, a, a Methodist church in Marysville that's condones homosexuality. Second to the church that's breaking away from the Methodist denomination. So we'll have two Methodist churches in Marysville. This is happening all over the churches. This is happening everywhere. And with the election so strong, it's just more and more and more of it that we have to stay strong it. I listened to a book out of a recommendation of someone else, and it was by Eric Metaxas. I don't know what you think of him or don't think of him, but it was just talking about how the fact that the, the lessons we can learn, and maybe you've seen this, maybe you thought about this, you know, they talk about certain people are Nazis. But if you look back to the Germans and, and you look back to Bonhoeffer and some of the things that were happening, the religious just kept appeasing the government and appeasing the government and appeasing the government even though things that were going on that were evil and wrong because we want to get along we must obey God rather than men our first person first thing we should be obeying is God our first relationship is with God. Our second relationship, if we have one, is with our spouse, then our children. But we the love of the Lord our God with all. And as the song says, though none go with me, still I will follow. we got to start following. And I believe we are trying to do that. But it's the cautionary tale here that we've got to keep diligent to that. And we think about what we should and shouldn't do as a church. We need to think about what would God have us do, not necessarily what everybody else is doing. And it's easy to do because you look and you're like, well, they've got... How many thousands of people or hundreds of people and they got multiple campuses and they've got all nice this and all nice that. Wouldn't that be great? And God bless them if they're winning souls and discipling them to Jesus. But a gathering of people that are lukewarm doesn't advance the kingdom. So may they be on fire for God. But may we continue in our diligence. May we continue to hold tight to what God is asking us to do. And he'll grant the increase. Because our country is eroding around us. Immorality is continuing. Immorality is being passed into laws. Marijuana is being encouraged. Psychedelic drugs are being encouraged. Gambling is encouraged. Lawlessness is encouraged. Looting is encouraged. Rioting is seems to be encouraged. Stealing is encouraged because there's no punishment for these things. Either there's no punishment, and so the the net effect is there's no law against it, or some of them are actually legalizing it. And so we have to be on our guard. And we need to be prepared. And we need to be diligent and hold fast, regardless of what other people say, regardless of what goes on. And there comes the point, it's not partisan politics, to say the government is doing something wrong when they're doing things that are evil. May the Lord help us as we live our lives in a community because we're having a changing landscape. We just had elections. And we're having changes in churches. And there's a lot of battles going on, so I want to encourage you. But first of all, in your own life, don't virtue signal. Be true. Be real. Be aligned with God. And let that trickle through, not only in your personal lives, in your work lives, in our church life, in our church direction, and as citizens, that the Lord might be blessed. Because it's going to be a hard road. It's going to be a hard road. Let's be standing together. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be diligent. You'd help us to be truthful. We pray that we might put you first place in our life, not second. Not divided. Where I'm in charge and you're in charge. And when I'm in charge, I'm going to do those things to make me feel better about what other people think about me. Or maybe what other churches think about me. Or whatever pastors think about me. Help us to do what you call us to do, though none go with us. Help us to be obedient to you, though none go with us. Help us, dear Lord, to speak righteousness and truth. Without fear. Help us to do things in a loving way. But never compromise righteousness. Help us, Lord, not to appease with evil. Help us, Lord, not to have a divided heart. Help us to focus on you. you first. You're always first. May we elevate your word. Elevate your truth. And obedient to you in all things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So a uh, charge to us as a congregation is as we go out and we think about things.